Welcome back to Growing Disciples. Continuing our series in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, today we're looking particularly at the work of Zerubbabel in building the temple in Jerusalem. You'll remember from the previous episode that the books of Ezra and Nehemiah follow the work of three key Jewish leaders who, returning from exile in Babylon, rebuild and renew the temple worship in Jerusalem. It's all about the temple worship uh, as much or actually more than the building itself. So yesterday we saw the way in which the careers of each of those three leaders were prefaced by the decree of a Persian king. God used them to command and fund, actually, the rebuilding works for his people. Well, today we'll see the second and third parts of the pattern in the work of Zerubbabel, and later we'll see the same for the other two leaders. Ezra 3 gives us a detailed account of the rebuilding of the altar at the temple site in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening sacrifices. So Joshua leads the priests and Zerubbabel leads the building works. But notice in verse 3 there, the first sign that not everything is going smoothly for this priestly and devoted group of returnees in Jerusalem. They build the altar and sacrifice despite their fear of the peoples around them. You see, not everyone is happy about the rebuilding of the temple at Jerusalem, especially the people who had been imported into Jerusalem from all over the Babylonian and Assyrian empires over those previous 70 years of the exile, which was, of course, part of the deliberate policy of assimilation and mingling of ethnic groups. And throughout the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, we see these opposition groups and resistance groups working against the rebuilding and the renewal of temple worship, against the idea of God's holy people resuming their place in the land. Now, opposition came from local governors, officials, and power brokers who paid tribute to the Babylonians and the Persians in order to maintain their local influence and control. Sometimes they were bureaucrats, directly appointed actually by the king, but all of them were against any new kids on the block setting up in Jerusalem. Work started on the temple after the altar was in place, but the more the progress was made, the more this opposition intensified. Uh, and so we read this in Ezra chapter 4. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and they said, Let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Eshadon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Notice how these are some of the resettled people from elsewhere in the empire. Perhaps they are well-intentioned, but who knows what their worship of the God uh, they perceived as being the local God of Jerusalem. Who knows what that worship actually looked like? But Zerubbabel, 
Joshua and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part in us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And so opposition grew from all kinds of locals, but the returned exiles kept on worshipping, they kept on sacrificing, and they kept on building. When there was a change of king at the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, they protested all over again. This is, I think, quite possibly the same King Xerxes who married Esther, although the history and the names do seem to get a bit muddied. Whether or not, really, a letter returns to Jerusalem with a stop work order issued by this new King Xerxes. And so work on the temple stops. Well, what's going to happen next? Well, actually, before long, the prophets of God call the people to get back to work. So Ezra 5. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Ido, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. As an aside, we can read all of their prophecies, of course, in our Old Testament in the books named after those prophets. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Josedach, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Quite clearly, this building work was the work of God. So the, the people get back to work. But again, opposition grows. More letter follows backwards and forwards. And all the while, the temple is being built in the midst of opposition until it's eventually complete. And so we read in chapter 6 of Ezra, so the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Ido. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month, Adair, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. So the temple is built, specifically at the command of God who moves various Persian kings to also command it. The opposition is ultimately unsuccessful, although great courage is required to get the job done. This is the, the second pattern that we see repeated in the works of of each of those three Jewish leaders, of Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. In the face of opposition, the work is successfully completed. But, and there's always a but, right? Which is actually the third part of the pattern of these books. When the temple is finished, when so many sacrifices are made, all strictly in accordance with the law of Moses, God does not seem to respond. You might remember previously that when the Temple of Solomon was inaugurated, that the Shekinah cloud of glory representing the presence of God 
filled the temple, signifying that God was now dwelling with his people. He was present in power and in covenant faithfulness. But after all of the sacrifices of the new temple, nothing, crickets. Similarly, when the temple foundations were first built back in chapter 3, the celebrations also fell a little bit flat. The people who'd been there and remembered what had taken place before were actually weeping quietly. This was not as glorious as it had all been before. So here's the third part of the pattern of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. When all the hard work is completed, even in the face of opposition, there is a but, a slightly empty feeling that not everything has gone as expected. And as we reflect on this slightly disappointing conclusion, this moment when the people might have anticipated that the glory of God would break out, I wonder how we deal with spiritual disappointment. I expect we've all had our times when our earnest prayers are not answered in the way that we wanted, when despite our best efforts, things don't go our way. The possible causes are many, but I think the result for us is the same, spiritual disappointment. How do we deal with it? Well, we could, you know, throw our hands up in despair or we could blame the leadership or we could become discouraged and just quietly walk away. And yet, the returned exiles show us a different path. They work hard at being faithful, of being obedient to the commands of God. They keep on worshipping and waiting on God and his timing. Ultimately, they stay true to their calling. And in these challenging days, when our spiritual life together can feel sometimes a little disappointing, I want to encourage us to do the same. How will you persevere in following God's calling today?